Amen. Well, welcome. See a lot of new faces out there, so welcome you guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, if you don't know, Mosaic is a three-month-old church, so we are super excited uh, to be here three months in. Yep, God has been so good. It's been awesome to see people coming to faith in Jesus and us uh, faithfully trying to do our best to be a multi-ethnic, anti-racist church that's, that's bringing the kingdom of God, we hope, to Grand Rapids and, and the way God wants things done in heaven to be done here. Uh, and so we've been in a series called Love to Love, and we're going through the book of 1 John in the Bible. And what's cool about doing a series through a book is you can pull up 1 John on your Bible app or open your Bible and just read it. You can read it, what we're preaching on next week. You can read what we preached on last week and just stay in 1 John and really soak it in. And if you've missed any of our sermons, we have our podcast up in our YouTube channel. We'd encourage you to go check those out. But we've been doing this illustration every single Sunday of the series on purpose. I hope to do it so many times you get annoyed with it and you say, when is he going to stop doing the water pitcher and the sponge? My hope is that this illustration gets tattooed on your brain so that any time in your life you ever see a sponge again, you remember this, this message. Anytime you ever see a water pitcher, let, let's just go, anytime you see water, we want this, this uh, illustration so uh, tattooed on your brain and on your heart that you remember two things. One, okay, God's love is the water, and we are the sponge. And I think most of us would agree that our world is dry. If you look at our world as a whole, it is dry and empty and looking for answers, right? It is dry and empty and looking for answers. And here God is coming to us, and the book of 1 John tells us over and over again, God loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And this is us, the sponge, going into God's love. In the photo, we have it pouring out onto the sponge. I'm not going to do that on the gym floor this morning. But you can picture ourselves soaking in God's love. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. That's one of the reasons you're at church today, is to be reminded that God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He invites you into a relationship with him. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. But the purpose is not to stay in the picture. The purpose is not to live in the water the rest of your life. What happens, oh, look at what I just did. I left it in too long. I'm going to get all wet now. Here we go. What happens is you pull the sponge out of the water and it drips. I'm not working hard right now. I'm not exerting myself. The water is dripping all over this plate. The dry world where I go as a follower of Jesus, when I obey him, when I follow his commands, when I love others the way he's commanded me to, the love of Jesus spreads. And eventually, I gotta get back in because I need to be reminded of that love again and again and again, and then I go out and I do the same thing. Our lives as followers of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian follower of Jesus, this is what our life is meant to be and look like wherever we go in the world, okay? Now, you might be asking this question, well, what is love? We have this series called Love to Love, and we're, we're quite a ways into it. We're in 1 John 3, we've been doing this for a few weeks, maybe even a few months now, I lose track. You might be saying, what is love? Come on, remote. Not sure what happened to my remote. Maybe we need a new battery. Click over one slide, please. <laughs> it got wet, thank you, Dennis. Yes, 
All right, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to go forward. There we go. I need my remote. Okay, what is love? What is love? That is the question you may be asking. And if you ask that question, what is love, depending on when you were born, the next thing you might think is, baby, don't hurt me. When, when you hear what is love, you might, you might just go, baby, don't hurt me. And, and be, because there is a great modern theologian, sound team, help me out. My, it's, let's try it again, sound team. Here we go. There we go. We're working on it. We're three months old. We're three months old. We're three months old. There's a great theologian who asked this question in 1993. And there we go. There we go. There we go. All right. Um, let's do that over. Let's do that over, guys. All right. From the top. From the top. I don't know why this remote's not working. Mario, give me a new battery for this sucker. Come on. Okay, let's start it over. Stop the music. Okay, pretend like you didn't see any of this. Three-month-old church plant. Okay. Also, our video guy's gone today, Alan. So we are thankful for our volunteers, and uh, we love them very much. Let's give them a hand filling in. Okay, so I really might need a new battery, Mario. This, this remote is, uh, I need my remote. So what is love? If you would ask that question, you might think, this next, baby, don't hurt me. And then you might feel like, hey, now it's working. You need to start dancing. Because how could you not dance to the great theologian Hathaway asking us this question? But we have to stop the music because, Josh, everything should be decently in order. And when we play that, I see Brian back there starting to get his groove on. And we had to, we had to pull the plug, okay? So... <laughs> uh, this question, I'm sorry, even the funny song, What is Love? Baby, Don't Hurt Me. Even that tells us that love shouldn't hurt, okay? That, and we're going to get into 1 John chapter 3 today, and we're going to see that what John does is he, he kind of tells us love is the opposite of hurt. We're going to get to that here in a minute. He, he, starts, he starts talking about um, there we go. All right. Um, that love is the opposite of hurt. Now, sometimes love can hurt in tough love. If you're a parent, sometimes you have to have tough love with your kids. Sometimes you have to confront people on stuff. That's not what we're talking about uh, this morning. But in verses 15 through, verses 11 through 15, uh, what John does, you don't have to, you don't, we're not going to read it, but he contrasts love with murder. He actually says hate, and if you hate someone, it's like you're murdering them in your heart. And he says that's the opposite of love. Uh, that, that sin, this idea of not loving God, not obeying God, brings destruction. So think about that for a second. Destruction, and then God's love brings the opposite. So think about ways you've experienced destruction in your life, and then God's love brings the opposite. So it's as if Hadaway asked this question, what is love? And then the Bible gave an answer, okay? The Bible gave an answer. I love that. Don't you wish the Bible always did that? You have a question, and you open it up, and the Bible says, I'll answer that question for you. Every once in a while, maybe more often than not, it actually does that. So Hathaway says, in 1993, what is love? And the Bible answers, this is how we know what love is. It gives us an answer. I love it when the Bible does this. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So Jesus Christ 
laid down his life for us. He allows us into his love. And then it says, we ought to do the same thing for our brothers and sisters. He sacrificed his life for us. He died on the cross. He took our place. We're sinners. We're deserving the wrath of God. Jesus took the wrath of God upon him to pay for our sins. Wouldn't you like to stand before God someday and he doesn't hold your sins against you? Well, that's a good feeling, isn't it? Standing before God and he doesn't hold all the wrong you've ever done against you. He says, you're innocent. You're free. Picture that feeling versus God holding everything you've ever done wrong against you. That's the gift of Jesus. He says, dive into my love. I'm going to lay down my life for you so you can have that freedom in God's love. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you uh, back in your groups for about five minutes. We do this every Sunday here at Mosaic. And uh, we're going to have you talk about these questions. That just to get you going, just to get you thinking, and nothing threatening, we won't make you talk. There's plenty of people in your group uh, that can share if you, don't, if you don't feel like sharing. But uh, can you think of a time someone sacrificed something for you and it meant a lot to you? Hang on, I'll, I got it. I'll, I got it. Can you think of a time someone sacrificed something for you and it meant a lot to you? And then number two, if everybody in the world, in the culture, only looked out for their own interests, what type of culture would we end up with? So take five minutes, and then I'll be back. Uh, feel free to open your Bible if you'd like, or we'll have the scripture up here on the screen in 1 John 3. Uh, but this is the verse we just read. This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But then it continues. It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, this is really getting into the, the sponge out in the world, right? Some of these sermons in the series have been all about the sponge in the water. This one starts there. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. But if you look at verse 17, it is really getting practical here in a loud way of what the Christian life is supposed to look like. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Now just pause there for a second and imagine if we created our churches around that verse. If we created our Christian lives around that verse, I think the church would look very different. I think the world would look very different. Now, I also can relate and say, that feels a little overwhelming, doesn't it? That feels a little overwhelming and maybe feels even a little bit legalistic. You mean anybody that has a need? If I have any possession I have to share with them? Like, how will I, how will I survive in culture if I, if I do that? So we'll talk about that just a little bit as well. Whenever the New Testament says brother or sister, or if you have an older translation, it would just say brothers, it's talking about believers, okay? So it's talking about Christians. It doesn't mean we're not to love non-believers. That's certainly very, very important. But they called each other brothers and sisters. We, we did a sermon on that a few months ago on the family of God. They, they were literally like a spiritual family. When you enter into uh, becoming a follower of Jesus, you've entered a new family. And so this is specifically talking about believers and, and, and maybe in certain contexts, I don't know exactly with John, 
but uh, the believers within your, your congregation. But, but we, can, we can sort of narrow the focus a little bit and say, okay, what would it look like for us to take care of each other in such a way that the world saw it and said, I want in on that, right? I want in on that. There's a unique type of love at Mosaic Church that I want in on because the world doesn't have that type of love. But we have to be honest that verse 17 is, is anti-American, okay? It is, now I'm pro-America, but there's things about our culture that we need to critique, right? We need to critique. There's, this is anti-capitalism. There's things about capitalism it's okay to critique that differ from the ways of Jesus. So in America, and maybe capitalism, it's kind of this idea that everything you have is whose? It's yours, and you earned it. And there's no limit to how much you should have. You should have more and more and more stuff, and if that person doesn't have stuff, they did something wrong. They're getting what they deserve, and you're getting what you deserve, because you did right, and they did wrong, okay? These are messages, at least for me, that were ingrained in me subconsciously from an early age throughout our culture. This one verse in verse 17 really, really turns that on its head. And we need to start thinking about what could that and what should that look like. It goes on in verse 18. It says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, this is really, really bringing things home. Uh, we here at Mosaic, we are a multi-ethnic, anti-racist church. And to be an anti-racist church, you have to love in truth. There's truth that my upbringing, the white church, is not comfortable with. doesn't mean all white churches are all white Christians, but by and large, I feel comfortable saying that in general, the white church is not comfortable talking about the truths that created our country. The truth of systemic racism, systemic injustices, discriminatory housing laws, redlining in the 1960s that told black people they had to live over here and couldn't get housing loans from the U.S. government, and allowed white people to live over here in these new neighborhoods and new developments where our federal government gave housing loans, gave low-interest mortgages that built the communities that we live in. That's one, one big but small example in the, in the large scheme of things. Uh, there's, there's truth. This is why we do an anti-racist devotional every Sunday that Lucero led us in today. Normally, Victoria is up here leading that devotional. There's truth that we need to understand if we are going to love in action and in truth, not just in speech or in word. Can we be honest about that? Can we be honest and say we often say I love you? When it comes to, we call it racial reconciliation, that's a, a word used in the past and it's not used as much anymore because it doesn't always deal with the equity and justice side of what's necessary to actually love in word and deed in 2022 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our task when it comes to scripture is taking an ancient truth from the first century and applying it today. What does it look like to apply this truth today? We look at, uh, we look at uh, immigrants from Mexico and from Central and South America, 
and depending on how you were raised and, and your political leanings and what news uh, channels you read and, and apps that you look at. As we, I like that someone said politics earlier for an idol because that is, right? We, we, just, we often just follow the idol of politics and whatever it tells us is, is what we learn, is what we do. And so it, uh, and, and again, in, and, and, I, and I'm, I have to be honest about my, you know, my background and as, a, as a white person and, and thinking about what I was taught about, about poverty and, and, about, um, and what I see out there today being taught about some of these things when it comes to, to immigration. And often we don't love with actions and in truth. Sometimes we don't even love with speech. <laughs> That's really bad. When we can't even get to loving with speech, this text is, a, is at least saying you ought to be loving in speech. But a lot of, let's, let's be real, a lot of our Christian language out there, particularly around polarizing political issues, we're not even loving with our speech, let alone understanding a history. I just, I had the opportunity, there's a, a wonderful book I encourage you to read. Uh, it's called Brown Church. And uh, Dr. Romero wrote this book, and I got a chance to interview him on my podcast. And I'm not sure I've ever talked to a smarter, uh, wiser person uh, before, Dr. Robert Chow Romero. And uh, he explained in the book, and to me, about the, the uh, Mexican-American War. I'm not a history buff. I, I got to admit, I didn't know much about the Mexican-American War. And why am I telling you this? Because I think it's important we know some of these things so that we can love with actions and in truth. And he was talking about immigration, and he said it's ironic that many Americans will say, uh, get out of our country, get out of our land, go back to where you came from. In the Mexican-American War, uh, the U.S. took from Mexico part or all of New Mexico, Utah, Nevada, California, Texas, and Colorado. Those states would have been filled with indigenous Mexican people. We took the land from them. If you want to learn more, read Brown Church. Uh, that wasn't our land to start with. We annexed the land. We, we conquered that land. And now we're telling all of those people, go back home. I'm not telling you what you should, uh, well, I kind of am, I'm trying to influence you, but uh, we're going to land in different places on our politics. We're going to land in different places on how we approach some of these polarizing issues, but there are truths we need to understand when it comes to the difference between loving with words and loving with truth, right? There's differences we need to understand in how we got to the place that we have gotten to as a society. It affects how we love with actions and in truth. So when it comes to love, there's a compassion element to love. There's a compassion element to love, but there's also a justice element to love. There's a justice element to love. And if you only have the compassion element and not the justice element, our love often comes across as self-righteous. All right? And it doesn't matter. This transcends all community, right? It transcends where if you have the material possession of verse 17 and somebody doesn't, it's very easy to think, I've got it going on. I, I'm the one that's got it right, and you messed up. So I'm going to help you out, but in our, in our, in our mind, uh, we aren't loving in a way that says, I'm, I'm working to understand what you've been through. See, let me say that again. I'm working to understand what you've been through. 
Whether you are white or black, Latina, Latino, Asian, an immigrant, a refugee, a Native American, whether you've lived here, your family, your, your family line has lived in the States for hundreds of years or maybe only a few years. How often do we look at others, the other, someone different than us and say, I'm working to understand what you've been through. And your individual life, what your parents were, had been through, what your grandparents had been through, what their generation had been through, in the way that I love you. This is a lifelong task. <laughs> this is the task that we have of being an anti-racist church and a multi-ethnic church, and it's not easy. Because how often do we read that passage and just go, all right, I can do that, let's keep going. We've got to slow down, and we've got to say, God, we need you to do a miracle in my heart, and we need you to do a miracle in our city. We need you to do a miracle in this person's life, and we need you to do a miracle in my life. Because can we say amen? We are all broken, aren't we? We are all broken, and we need Jesus to make us whole. We are all broken, and we need Jesus to make us whole. So this text continues, and it says, uh, this is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. I will be honest with you, these three verses gave me fits this week. <laughs> they, sometimes, let me just say, I really like uh, verse 16. I like that verse. That's a good one. <laughs> it's really easy to understand. <laughs> uh, these verses gave me fits this week. Um, I, and these are verses that theologians have wrestled with uh, for years. On. And, and so, uh, but I don't want to spend a lot of time confusing us on these verses or um, I want to do them justice because we're going through 1 John. Um, but here's a way of understanding these verses, okay? When our hearts condemn us, what that means is I'm standing before God and I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling guilty like I haven't done enough. And that's, not a, that's not the gospel, right? That's not the gospel. If you're standing before God going, okay, I got to love others. There's people in material need. There's always more people with material need out there, Right? If you're standing before God feeling like you haven't done enough, your heart is condemning you. What this text is telling us, based on what we know about the gospel, based on what we know about how John is handling his audience, he calls his audience dear children, little children, God's beloved children. Okay, can you picture that in your mind? That's what we are. We're dear, go into the zero through fourth room, peek your head in the window there, and see all the little cute toddlers running around. Okay, that's what John's calling us, you cute little toddlers. You're God's cute little toddlers. That's who you are, okay? When your hearts condemn you, we can rest on the basis of assurance. So we have assurance that God is greater than our hearts. God knows everything. I love that line. I don't have to know everything. You don't have to know everything. God knows everything. God knows your heart. We don't have to worry about, um, God knows that I believe Jesus has taken my place. God knows that I believe that Jesus uh, has been perfect so that I don't have to be perfect. God also knows if I was a crooked pastor up here faking it in front of you. 
If, I, if I'm like, hey, Pastor Israel, how much should we bring in this week? And we're, we're pocketing the money and we're taking money off the top. You'd never know that. God would know that. God knows everything. God knows if someone's faking their Christianity for whatever reason. You don't have to go to bed staying up at night. Am I a real Christian or not? If, we're going to get to this at the end. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you're a real Christian. But God knows everything. And if you're playing a game with God, God knows. God knows. So it also says when our hearts are confident, we have this confidence before God when our hearts don't condemn us, then we can enjoy the blessings of assurance. So sometimes I, I have God's assurance when I don't feel it, and other times I feel it, and I can really enjoy in those blessings. Okay, We're going to get back to verse 22 because that's another tough one. It comes, it comes right here. All right. Uh, 21 into 22. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. I'm telling you, verse 22 is confusing to me. Verse 22 is confusing to me. Do you receive anything you ask from God? I don't. <laughs> I don't receive anything I ask from God. The author of this, John, he didn't. John was exiled on the island of Patmos. He was, he was kicked out. He was kicked out. He, was, he, was, he had to die alone, like a prison, basically. That's how he ended his life. He was the only one of the 12 disciples that actually got to end a natural death, though. 11 of the 12 of Jesus' disciples, the closest disciples, they were tortured for their faith. And I got to think they prayed a prayer. God, will you get me out of this? God, I don't really like being, uh, you know, tarred and, and burned at the stake. I don't really like having my ankle tied to a chariot and, and dragged around Rome until I died. This is how the, the, the disciples died. Peter was hung upside down on a cross. He probably prayed, God, could you get me out of this one? <laughs> I don't fully understand Verse 22, okay? But God knows everything. I don't have to. <laughs> uh, but there's truth here. And I, I've experienced this, I think, on the opposite side. When I'm living in blatant sin, you know what I'm saying? You've been there? Maybe? I've been there. If I'm living in blatant sin before God, I experience the opposite of this. When I know God's not going to answer my prayer. I know God's not going to answer my prayer if, if I'm living in blatant sin before God. If there's sin that I'm hiding from God, I'm saying, God, you can have all of this in my life, but I'm going to keep this to myself. Why would God answer my prayers? God's saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. You think I'm like a genie in a bottle? You think I'm just here to, do, to answer your, you know, like do whatever you say, that like you're the, you're the customer at the table and I'm the waiter coming to serve you? Hey, what else can I get for you? Can I refill your water? Do you, do you need, you know, would you, can I get you anything? God wants to be in relationship with me. He wants to be in relationship with you. And when I'm living in a destructive sin pattern, I am rebelling against God. You know what God wants from me? To come back to him, to experience abundant life in him. And we're going to get to that at the end of this passage. If you have it open, you may have already looked ahead, and you'll see how this passage ends. But before we get there, there is a command that he gives us. And I love what John does here. It messes with you. Because you think of a command in verse 23, and you say, he's going to tell me what to do. He's going to command me, okay, I'm going to go do these good works. I'm going to go do these good works. This is in the context of we receive from him anything we ask. Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Well, what's his command? Again, I love when the Bible answers the question I ask. What is his command? Verse 23, it tells us this is his command. To believe 
in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's number one. And to love one another as he commands us. What is your command today? It's to believe. That is the number one command. Believing in grace that you can't ever do enough. So it's very clear here. You can't do enough. We believe in Jesus. We believe in grace. He's done enough. That is our command is to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and then to love one another the way he's commanded us. To me, that's simple. And I love simplicity. Thank you, John. After a rough verses 19 to 22, we've got it simple here at the end. And very simply, verse 24, when we obey, that is when we are alive. Okay, check this out. Verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. You want to be alive? Keep God's commands. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. We're going to get there next week as we talk about the Holy Spirit in next week's sermon as we go in. But that last verse, you want to be alive? Obey God's commands. Because who is the author of life? God is the author of life. We were at the park, uh, I think it was two Thursdays ago, and I was talking to my guys. These are high school guys. I can talk about them. None of them are here, so maybe they'll. <laughs> I, won't name, I won't name names. But I was trying to get them to understand this. God is the path of life. And if I were to ask anyone in here, particularly you know, a teenage boy that's not a follower of Jesus, straight up, just not someone who follows Jesus, it's, it's hard to convince somebody, you know, Bryce, who should you follow, yourself or Jesus? Now, I know Bryce, he's a follower of Jesus. He's going to say Jesus. But think about a random non-Christian in your life. Or maybe you yourself don't follow Jesus, and you're like, I'm not following nobody. I'm following myself, right? Like, I know what's best. I am, I am very intelligent, and I know my own life. I'm in control of my life. If you were to offer me follow Jesus' plan and path or my own, I'm going to pick my own. And they all said that. So then I said, okay, Dennis, who would you follow, Bryce or Jesus? And, 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 and Jesus, like, <laughs> no way, I'm not following Bryce. And Bryce would follow, but he'd follow himself over Jesus. And I asked the next, Pam, who would you follow, Bryce or Jesus? Jesus. And these kids who are not Christians, they're, go, they're picking Jesus over their friend. I would pick Jesus over my friends, even if I wasn't a Christian. But if I say, who would you follow, yourself or Jesus? Oh, myself. So we trust ourselves, but our closest friends don't trust us. Who would you f trust for your eternal destiny? The person next to you or Jesus? Hello, Jesus. But how many of us trust ourselves for that? We just need to ask our friends, who should we follow, Jesus or me? Oh, Jesus, bro. <laughs> like, don't, you don't, I'm not following you. You shouldn't either. That's what verse 24 is telling us, that true life comes from the author of life. True life comes from the author of life. And I, I just want to, God's inviting you into that relationship with him. He's inviting you into true life. Our world is dry. This is the world. Our world is dry. We find true life in God's love for us. We go out into the world and we show the world the true life that we have in God. And we experience that at its utmost when we obey his commands. What we're going to do next is we're going to have
communion. Our worship team is going to come back up. We want to give you a chance and a time to reflect on this, a chance and a time to think about this. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's a chance and a time to jump in to the pitcher of water. I'm going to give you some instructions. Brian, Abigail, you guys can put the communion slide up there for me. I'm going to give you some instructions on this. And it is an invitation for you to remember that Jesus is the author of all life. It's an invitation to remember that Jesus is the author of all life. And he's calling you saying, my son, my daughter, I love you. Will you dive back in? It's been a while. It's been a while. Your sponge isn't working the way it's supposed to. It's not, it's dry. Will you jump back in? Will you jump back in, my child? Will you jump back in? So the reason we celebrate communion is because the night before Jesus died, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took a glass of wine at the Last Supper. He said, this wine is my blood shed for you. The new covenant, the marriage that we have with Jesus and us, the church the night before he died on the cross. And so we remember that. So a couple things about communion. It is for Christians only, believers only. It's for people that are remembering what Jesus has done in their life. So if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take communion this morning. If you are not a follower of Jesus, we invite you to receive him this morning. We invite this to be your first communion. We invite you to receive Jesus into your life. I'm going to give you some instructions, but first I want to let you know we're going to have our section leaders ready to pray for you. So Joel will be over on this side of the gym, Lucero will be in this corner here, and Darby will be in the back corner there. And I'll be available for prayer um, as well. Two ways you can participate in communion. One is we will have the bread and grape juice up in the front. You can come up and take a piece of bread, dunk it into the grape juice, and you will receive communion, the elements, uh, from me in the front. We also have a self-enclosed communion under the basketball hoop uh, that you can have a socially distanced, uh, self-enclosed time of communion. We invite you to that as well. And if you, uh, if, you, if you are not a follower of Jesus, we just invite you to worship him. We invite you to reflect on him. We invite you to go to our prayer team. And our prayer team is there for all. If you're struggling, if, if you're sick, if you need healing, if you need someone just to lean on this morning, that is what our prayer team is for. So uh, let me pray. And then our, uh, our band, uh, for those that are, would like to, can come take communion first. And our, uh, our, our prayer team can come take communion next. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this opportunity to sit in truth. Challenge us as a church, as Mosaic, of what does it mean to be an anti-racist, multi-ethnic church that loves not in speech and word, but in actions and in truth that under, seeks to understand, that seeks to understand the, the, um, what, the burdens that people are carrying, that seeks to understand and to show grace. God, we are all broken and we need you, Jesus. And we thank you for this, this time in communion where, where we can come once more and say, Jesus, I need you. I remember you, Jesus. I remember what you've done in my life, and I need you, Jesus. 
God, we thank you for loving us. May we go out and love others in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen.